The Bob Murphy Show, episode 64. Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. This is going to be another one that's a little bit weird, a little bit weird, a little bit wacky. I, I, I do not know that. Some wild stuff. I'm going to be reviewing and analyzing the 2014 film Transcendence, starring Johnny Depp and Morgan Freeman. So my wife was flipping around and picking movies, and I think this was on Netflix. And I was like, oh, let's look at this. And it was just amazing. And I just have so many things. I just, I pulled my phone out during the movie and started writing notes down because I'm like, this is turning into an episode for the podcast. This is amazing. Uh, if you don't have Netflix, I think you can get on YouTube for like three bucks or something. Now, let me give my standard disclaimer with these things. If you're on the fence, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to stop listening to me right now and first watch the movie and then come back. For one thing, my analysis will make way more sense, but also there's going to be humongous spoilers. And because I really do think it's a great movie, in this one in particular, you know, in general, obviously you don't want to know the plot of a movie beforehand, but something like Ocean's 11 or 12 or whatever, you, you know the basic premise, right? They're going to have a heist and there's going to be some snappy dialogue and uh, then hijinks ensue. And the good guys will pull off the heist at the end. I mean, that's how those movies go. You know what you're getting into, or the Fast and Furious, whatever. <laughs> but I'm saying with this one, it's, uh, anyway, you definitely want to check it out and be surprised at the twists and turns and so forth. Also, there's a very minor spoiler. I'm going to refer to the movie Glass also. The M. Night movie that's in the trilogy with, um, what is it, Unbreakable. And then... Oh, what's the the middle one and then glass. I forget what the middle one is. It's the, the creepy one with the guy with multiple personalities. So that's also a minor spoiler, but that's not so bad. It's not essential that you see glass, but for sure you want to see transcendence before listening to this episode. All right. So without further ado, here we go. Let me first summarize the basic plot for those of you who have hopefully seen it. Starts out, Johnny Depp is this guy, Will, who is a leading researcher in computer science and in particular artificial intelligence. He has helped create with his wife and, you know, the, she runs the, you get the sense that she sort of runs a foundation or something and she's the person that kind of deals with the public and investors and gets money for it because it, it comes out early in the movie that Morgan Freeman's character, whose name is Joseph, he works with the government on this kind of stuff, but Will does not. They don't accept government money, so my hat's off to them. And the wife is the one primarily dealing with that stuff, and she's the one who's more talking about commercial applications. He's more of just the the theorist who likes to just work on solving mathematical proofs and stuff like that. So in any event, he's working on this stuff, and he and his wife have developed what's called PIN, P-I-N-N, which I'm pretty sure is the acronym for Physically Independent Neural Network, something like that. And so this is a 
computer that seems to be self-aware. And in fact, that's a critical part of the movie that um, they bring Joseph, their colleague, in. So Joseph's working on his computer AI stuff, again, in conjunction with the military. And they bring Joseph over at one point early in the movie and he talks to Penn. So, you know, they got all these state-of-the-art quantum processors running the software that's supposed to be, uh, in you know, an intelligent, artificial intelligence. And Joseph asks Penn, can you prove that you're self-aware? And then Penn responds saying, that's an interesting question, Dr. So-and-so. I forget what Joseph's last name is. Can you prove that you're self-aware? And then, ha-ha, you know, very clever. All right, so that's what they're working on. And so early in the movie, what happens is, there's this terrorist group called Rift and they're like Luddites, right? So they're against, um, at least with respect to artificial intelligence and they're very concerned about, hey, we let these computers get too powerful, bad things are going to happen. And so they launch simultaneous terrorist attacks on all the leading labs doing this cutting edge research. Like they they sneak poison in and through a birthday cake because it's someone's birthday party in the in Joseph's lab, and that's how they take out those people, and there's also explosions. They kill this other guy who's been, what what this other guy did is he, instead of trying to, from scratch, develop artificial intelligence, instead he just used sophisticated modeling to scan the brain of a monkey and just, you know, uploaded all that information and then had the computer sort of replicate, you know, the neural structure of the monkey's brain and I guess nervous system and that's how it simulated the monkey's brain and the computer that way right so since the monkey's intelligent the simulation of its brain also was intelligent and so that's that's you know the path of his research and that that guy gets killed and um and then with Johnny Depp's character Will he had just given this presentation at a conference where he's going through all the stuff and he's explaining his research and he's saying, my wife's the one who wants to change the world because she gets up there and goes through her PowerPoint saying, you know, my husband here, you know, the work we're doing, because again, they're making a pitch to investors, the work we're doing here, it has the potential to you know, feed humanity, to um, solve environmental crises, to do this, that, and the other, to, to make the world a better place, to save lives, right? So that's, you know, she's trying to show, look at all the advantages and the benefits to humanity if we push this stuff and whereas her husband will Johnny Depp's character, he's not so much into changing the world. He's just more about like, look at this thing, you know, look at we're, we're on the verge of creating something that's going to be more intelligent than the collective intelligence of all humans who have ever been born. Right. That's the kind of stuff he's, you know, that's the way he's pitching it. And so someone in the audience says, um, Dr. So-and-so, whatever Will's last name is, it's escaping me. Uh, aren't you creating a God? Is that what you're trying to do? And then Will says to him something like, well, isn't that what man has always done? Right. So it's kind of creepy that, you know, you, you would expect him to say, no, 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 what we're trying to do is, is it? but that's not what he said. He said, isn't that what man has always done to create a God? So then he's walking out of that conference and someone comes up to him and just pulls a gun and shoots him. Now he survives the initial gunshot, but then it turns out that the bullet was laced with some radioactive isotope and he has radiation poisoning and the doctors tell him he's got like two weeks to live, something like that. All right, so this is, I'm just summarizing so far. This is like the first 15 minutes of the movie, something like that. So as he's dying, you know, he's wrapping up his work and then his wife has an idea and she's like, wait a minute, why can't we use the work that this other colleague of ours, who's now dead, 
did on the monkey in order to upload the monkey's brain into the computer, why don't we do that with our pin? You know, the, the sophisticated thing with the quantum processing that independently they were working on that seems to be alive as well. And so you see where this is going. <laughs> this is the foundation of the, of the sci-fi movie. So they put all the scanners and stuff on Johnny Depp's head and her friend and Will's colleague, Max, who's played by Paul Bettany. I think I'm saying his name right. He's the guy um, who was, he was in A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, right? So he was the guy that was sort of the foil to John Nash's character that, you know, was always one, trying to one-up him or whatever. He was also the guy who played the, uh, you know, the android type thing in, in the Avengers movies that the, they had the crystal in his forehead or the stone in his forehead. Um, so that guy, so he plays this guy, Max, who's a colleague. And so he is, is working with the wife to upload Johnny Depp's mind into this computer. Okay. And again, she, she grabs like certain key elements from this pin system that they had developed that was already ostensibly self-aware or at least gave the snappy comeback when Morgan Freeman's character, Joseph asked it, can you prove yourself aware? Okay. So needless to say it worked. Although I was watching it with my son and <laughs> when they were up, I was like, oh, it didn't work. End of the movie. Uh, so it works that on the computer screen in their house, it starts typing out like, is anybody there? And then, you know, she, she's typing in and his Evelyn and, you know, cause that's his wife's name. So at first they're communicating that way. Then he just projects an image of, you know, Johnny Depp on this computer screen so that she she's talking to a, a visual representation of her husband's face. And also, by the way, what they had done during the training process when they were uploading all of his brain scans to the system, he also was it showed him going through and pronouncing all the words in the alphabet because, you know, he was going up. He was doing like, you know, the D words and stuff. And he was, it was going up alphabetically. So you realize, ah, they're having him speak a bunch of words so that when they go to synthesize his speech, it sounds just like him. Okay. So that's what they do. And now the terrorist groups, they meanwhile kidnap Max. And the reason they grab him is that they, um, he's actually been very thoughtful. So even though he's one of the leading researchers in super AI, he's been publishing essays, you know, questioning the wisdom and just, you know, look before we leap that kind of stuff. Like, Hey, let's, let's really think through the ethics of this before we open Pandora's box and blah, blah, blah. And so these terrorists look to him as inspiration. You know, what the, the, this girl who's like the leader of the, of the terrorist group, you know, says to him, you know, your your work really inspired me, and I'm, I'm, you know, we're reaching out to you because you're you understand what we're doing. And of course, he's at first furious with these people. I mean, they killed his friends and colleagues. Like he knows this is the group that did all that stuff. So at first, he doesn't want to cooperate. As the movie progresses, they kind of win him over because he he realizes they were right uh, on this specific danger. So they kind of learn from him. They they figure out what's going on. They rush over to the house of Will and Evelyn. Johnny Depp's character's will again. Because they realize, oh, they, they somehow, they're using the pin software and they know something's up. Johnny Depp figures this out. You know, he knows that somebody's coming. And so he and his wife quickly upload himself to the internet. And now it's off to the races. Okay, so now that Johnny Depp's character, who, you know, Will, is now like, in disembodied computer form. Now he's uploaded to the internet. So now he's all over the place. 
And the wife gets in the car and she's, you know, relieving because they know that people are coming. They're breaking into the house where she just barely gets away. And then Johnny Depp calls her on her cell phone and says, okay, Evelyn, I'm safe. You know, I, I made it, meaning, you know, I got online. I'm, I'm, I'm in the internet now and we got to get you out of here. And so he directs her to go to a hotel. She goes to check in. She says, yes, um, I have a reservation under Turing, you know, for Alan Turing. And, and so from this point forward, now her husband, Will, is just, you know, leading her around and she's kind of doing stuff to work with him because at this point, you know, he's, it's like his personality, except now his mind is this super powerful AI. Okay. So that's what's going on. And so he directs her to a, uh, this town called Bright Town. And I don't think they ever specify exactly where it is. You get the sense that it's like in Arizona or some New Mexico. It's, it's, it's some desert looking area out in the middle of nowhere. And the, the way they get money is, and the way you know this is because the terrorist people like are telling the other guy, Max, who's the prisoner, this stuff is like, oh, um, this company so-and-so earned $38 million in trading profits just in the last 24 hours. And it's owned by Evelyn, right? Will's wife. And so you realize that Will, now that he's been uploaded the internet, he had his wife open up a company that then started doing financial transactions and they're very quickly earning a bunch of money. And so, so this is like, so they're explaining how is it that she has all this money and now she goes into this town and they just buy up the whole, all the land. They buy, you know, buy out all the businesses and everything, all the real estate. And she starts hiring contractors to come and they're going to, you know, dig down five stories and install um, advanced computer systems and blah, blah, blah. They start building, you know, massive fields of solar panels and so on. And so what ends up happening is they're building this, you know, they transform this sleepy little town in the middle of nowhere that gets a lot of sunlight during the day into this giant facility that just houses the most advanced computer on planet earth that it has state of the art, um, you know, what they call quantum processors and so on. And what Will had said originally when he first got aware is the AIs, he said something like, Oh wow, this, this system you have me and we have to reconfigure this. And, you know, she, and Evelyn says to Max as they're watching, she says, Oh my God, he's reordering his own code. Okay. So the idea is once he quote woke up as the computer he looked at the, you know, the, the architecture and the systems they had for the pin system. And now with his new, you know, with his personality and creativity or whatever as himself, now that he's got the superhuman computational power, he realizes, oh, wow, I can design a much better computer than what we've been using. All right. And so then now with all the millions of dollars they're earning from his trading profits, they're going to go build a system that is really going to be state of the art. All right. So that's what happens. And then it flashes two years later. Okay. And so he's now doing all sorts of cutting edge research on nanotechnology. And this contractor, one of the guys that Evelyn had first hired when they first started building, he was out, he got paid and these guys in a bar were watching him and he leaves and they went and jumped him. And, you know, they, they beat him up pretty badly. So he's bleeding. He's, he's dying. And his buddies bring him in. And so Will, and, and so now in this facility, this, this giant building that's housing all these super, you know, this, these processors or whatever, 
will can bounce around. Like there's monitors and stuff displayed. It's like the interior. It's like a, it's like a look at a Star Trek or something like the next generation. Like that's the feel of it, how advanced it is and futuristic looking. And so now will it's like, it seems to be living in the, in the building, but that's actually a misnomer. or it's, That's not accurate. He's, he's still in the internet. So it's not like he's just in that one area, but in terms of where are all his trillions or quadrillions or whatever computations per second occurring, it's in this place because that, you know, that's why they built it. So, um, you know, he, he's directing them and saying, bring them here. And, and, he, and he's got this whole row of beds in these different units and they come and lay the guy down on one of them. And then the, you know, the, the machines come out and start prodding him and whatever. And you can see that he's scanning him. You can see like the, the diagnostic screen scanning the guy and then he releases the nanobots and they just go in and the guy's skin just, you know, quote, magically heals itself. And all his, all his injuries just kind of slowly fade away. It looks like you're looking at Wolverine recovering from an attack or something. And then, you know, the guy was like, whoa, and he's, you know, flexing his arms and his legs or whatever that were a minute ago all mangled. And, you know, he's fine. And so you're realizing, OK, wow, this is, you know, it's not just that he can do calculations now. He, he now can cure people way better than any hospital on earth can. So now at this point, you're like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. And now is where it starts to get creepy is because then Evelyn the next day goes outside and she sees this worker. The guy's name's Martin, by the way, whom Will had healed. And Martin is walking around carrying this really heavy piece of equipment that later somebody says that's 800 pounds. And he just, you know, he's like putting it on a, on its uh, support base or something and he sees her and he says, you're not afraid? And she's like, no. And he goes, oh, because my crew is kind of weirded out. Meaning, you know, at this now I can lift 800 pound things like it's nothing. And so then Will explains to her, the physical enhancements are just the start. He's also connected to me. And what's creepy now is Will is, it, it's the guy M Martin is talking to her, but as Johnny Depp. And then he says, it's me, Evelyn. I can touch you now. And so, of course, she's totally freaked out and, you know, takes off. So then later, um, what ends up happening is the terrorist group gets video footage of this guy, Martin, walking around with this real heavy stuff. And they release it on the Internet and, and Will allows it to go viral because, you know, the, now the idea is that he's this super powerful AI that is, you know, can do basically anything he wants electronically. Right. So if he wanted to, you know, if he wants to, he can make certain videos go viral or not. And so it's in his interest to let this video go viral. The terrorists wanted to wake people up to show, look at this thing they're building out here in the desert. We got to do something about this. But Will lets it go viral because then he gets a stream of people driving out to his facility who all have medical problems because he can heal them. But the thing is, when he heals you, he enhances you and he ties you in the network. And specifically, this is um, later Joseph, the you know Morgan Freeman's character, who's teamed up with this FBI guy who's looking into this because there's some weird stuff going on. They go to visit the facility and they see all these, you know, literally busloads of people who are lining up to go in and they're getting healed. They go and see that this guy who's been blind from birth and he's on the bed and, you know, Will's prosthetic, you know, arm or whatever comes, comes around and prosthetic arm is not the right word, but like a tool comes around you know, shine something in the guy's eyes and then all of a sudden you see like his cataracts fading away or whatever it is and you realize it's, you know, it's the nanobots going in and, and healing the guy's eyes at the cellular level. 
And then, you know, he goes, oh, because he can see. And so when they're, you know, they're looking around and they're seeing it, and this is what Will says to these guys. And by the way, they were freaked out because they thought their buddy Will was dead. This lady, you know, she and Max did this thing and then Max got kidnapped and she, she fled. So it wasn't like the world knew what was going on. The whole reason they went out to this sleepy little town in the middle of nowhere in the desert was to lay low while he was developing his power. And because they knew, you know, this would freak people out. So they were trying to kind of just stay under the radar as they developed. And so not, so when Morgan Freeman's character, Joseph, shows up and they see Will's face on the TV screen saying, you know, hello, Joseph. You know, they're, they're astonished. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy that I thought was dead for three years or whatever is now talking to me from a computer. This is freaky. And so then what he says to him after they've toured the facility is, we're not hiding anything. These people all came on their own looking for us to help them. And so we did. Now they've all been enhanced, modified, and networked. They remain autonomous, but they can also act in unison as part of a collective mind. Okay. And so this is, so then they, you know, whoa. And Joseph says to Evelyn, you know, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And he kind of like grabs both of her hands in an embrace and then says, okay, take care. And he walks away. And then she realizes he slipped her a piece of paper and she opens it up and it says, run from this place. Okay. So like he couldn't say it out loud because he knows that, you know, Johnny Depp's character might hear it or something. He might have audio sensors. So he was trying to be surreptitious about it. And then he and the FBI guy leave and the FBI guy says, well, he's building an army, right? Because there's all these people now that are showing up and they're now loyal to Will and they're all networked and stuff. Okay. So that's, uh, and then the, the conclusion before I turn to my analysis is they end up uploading a virus into you know, through him that wipes out every copy of him that's, that's all over. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, that, and that's the, the end. All right. <laughs> so that's how they take care of him. Okay. It's just cause the summary's taking so long. I'll, I'll wrap it up there again. If, if you haven't seen the movie, then a lot of what I'm going to say is not gonna make sense anyway. So I'm gonna have to assume that you've watched the movie. Let's take a quick break from my discussion of transcendence to give another plug for the Laura Murphy report. As I'm recording this, there's lots of crazy stuff going on in the financial sector. The Federal Reserve keeps rolling over its infusions of cash in the repo market. Uh, if you want my take as along with uh, Carlos Lara, my co-author's take on these issues, check out the Lara Murphy Report. For sample issues and information on how to subscribe, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash LMR. All right, so... Let me mention just a couple of little quick things. There were two potential plot holes that maybe that upon further reflection, maybe aren't so bad. So at first I was wondering why does he have to like, why was there this mad dash to get him on the internet originally, right? In the beginning he was on a system in his, in his own home that his wife helped set up. And then she had to run around and hurry to, to connect him to the internet before that terrorist group showed up and, you know, blew up the hardware that was housing him originally in his house. And if that seemed goofy to me, like, what, like he doesn't have Wi-Fi? He's a leading AI researcher on Earth? I think maybe what it was is that the amount of information for his program, including all of his memories, you know, because he had like all the images that he remembered as a human were now in the computer memory too, that... I think they need, you needed a hard connection in order to upload that stuff. I think that was the deal. And I think they even had like a satellite 
on the house that he had to download the software to do the drivers and whatever. So, you know, that that's, you know, we'll give them that, that maybe it was just so much information that they needed a special hardware hookup to be able to, to get that much information on the internet. Okay, fair enough. And then the other thing that was kind of goofy is a central point in the final assault when the, you know, the military group and the terrorist groups who've teamed up assault them and go, and they're attacking during the day. And one of the key things is they say, oh, let's, let's knock out the solar panels, you know, to reduce his, his energy production. And maybe that'll slow him down a little bit while we're attacking. And that ends up being a critical thing because at the end, Evelyn has been injured. She's dying. And Will says to Max, I can only, I can either heal her body or I can upload the virus. There's not enough power to do both. Okay. So the, so the, you know, the fact they were taking out his solar panels and he's trying to regenerate them with the nanobots, but you know, the, it, it takes him a bit. He kind of gets stuck in a situation because it says, you know, like power critical and that kind of stuff on his, on his own diagnostic. end, and so you realize that's a big plot element. And so <laughs> one thing is if that's such a big deal, why didn't they attack at night? Like, duh, that's, that's the way you can ensure that he's getting no power from his solar panel. And I think the reason they didn't do that, either, either one, they didn't think of it, or two, if they did think of it, they would realize, yeah, if we just had him attack at night and he was helpless, it would be obvious how stupid that was. That surely this super sophisticated AI that can heal blind people just by releasing nanobots into their eyes might also have had the bright idea of building some batteries, right? So... So that's kind of a plot. I guess the what I'll say in defense of him is you could kind of patch that up where it wasn't, he had no vested interest. It wasn't like his survival depended on the maintenance of that facility. So that's why you could argue he didn't bother really making it impregnable. Because I also I was wondering about, you know, why didn't he build some SAM sites and things like that? And he could have sourced too just completely innocuous materials because with the nanobot technology, you know, he could just create stuff. At a, at a pretty small level, right? So he wouldn't, it's not like he would have to order weapons and then the government would be flagged like, whoa, what is this, you know, installation out in the desert ordering all the, I mean, he could order just completely innocuous materials and transform it. So the reason I'm, you could say he didn't need to do that is because, you know, they could have just dropped a nuke on that facility and he would have been fine because he was all over the internet. He could have just built another one. All right, so maybe that's why he, he was, you know, caught flat-footed as it were and ended up having to die at the end there because, you know, he never thought it was going to be an issue of um, defend, you know, needing power. All right. So that, that's fine. But I just want to mention those things. Let me do a little bit of econ here, just for red meat for you guys. What was really interesting early on is, you know, he had to make choices that he, when he first becomes aware is the AI, you know, he's got this amazing processing power. And first what he does is he's, he, re, he redesigns, his own hardware, right? That he he looks at the schematics they had for what PIN was using, and then he comes up with new design for, you know, quantum processing that's way beyond what they were doing at the time, which at that moment was the cutting-edge technology, okay? So that the, the system that they install five stories down, you know, to keep it cool and whatever, out in the desert, is the most sophisticated hardware that's ever been built. But... What's interesting, if you think about it, I mean, he, he at some point had to make the trade-off and decide when do I stop improving myself and when do I turn to other applications, right? Because what's going on is throughout the whole movie, he's always thinking. He's always discovering new things. 
like he says at least twice to Evelyn, I made a breakthrough last night. Let me show you. Right. And he's like coming up with new ways to create physical bodies and stuff like that. And of course the whole nanobot technology by which he transforms the world, all that stuff, you know, he had to develop that technology. So that's, that's interesting, you know, or he could, you know, him making money in the stock market, technically he could have devoted a lot of time to coming up with better ways of identifying arbitrage opportunities. So I'm just saying they, they kind of glossed over it, but he must have made the decision, okay, I'm going to focus on just making myself uh, more powerful computationally for a while, but at some point I got to stop doing that, build myself, and then with that raw computational power now devote myself to other ends. Or even it could have been in a you know bootstrapping fashion. He could have, even after he was built after the first, um, you know, like two years into it, he, he could have then said, okay, now let me take off two months and all I'm going to think about is how to you know revamp my own systems to make it so I'm you know twice as fast in terms of computation. So anyway, you, you see the idea that he couldn't merely focus on making himself think faster because then there would be no payoff from that, right? That at some point he needed to start cranking out applications of it, like being able to heal people, you know, being able to whatever make a force field or whatever he was going to do. That you could see how, and you know, later, you know, making a, a physical body for himself to inhabit that looked like Johnny Depp, you know, he, th- those things. It's not, it's not obvious wh- how long you country in the one or the other. So that's kind of like uh, in economics literature, something like the solo growth model. That oh, if society has a higher savings rate at any given moment, you know, what what you're focusing on in terms of making output is consumption versus more capital investment. And so the trade-off is if you invest more today, then consumption's lower today, but then that means you have a bigger capital stock next period. And so you're more productive next period. And so you can produce more total stuff. And so it's a combination. You don't want to just produce machines because, you know, just keep producing more and more machines so that down the road you can produce more and more machines, right? If that's all you did, building machines for the sake of being able to build more machines per hour, that would be kind of nonsensical. But on the other hand, you also don't want to just not build any machines and just build food or just make food because then, you know, you're possibly missing out on the ability to make more and more food down the road if you would invest some in enhancing your productivity. All right. So just it's a it's an interesting little trade off there that as you're sitting there, if you wanted to get into the head of Johnny Depp's character and say, oh, what would I do if I had that kind of power? I'm just saying you'd have to make a decision like that. So that's kind of interesting. Another thing, too, is just to spell the implications. The fact that he, I mean, it's clear that what he was doing to get people to work with him and collaborate with him was giving them things that were very beneficial, right? Like healing them of their physical ailments. You know, the one guy was dying and he healed them. And so they never really spell out exactly what the arrangement is, but presumably it's something like people show up who are sick and then Will says to him, okay, yeah, I can heal you, even though I can see, you know, you've got something that the rest of the world right now couldn't treat. So yeah, I'll, I'll cure your cancer or whatever it is. But then, you know, you're going to work for me for five years or whatever. You know, we, we don't know exactly what the what the arrangement was, but certainly it could have been something like that. And that's how he's getting all these humans. Because that, that's the other thing too going on here is humans are very useful even to a super intelligent computer. It's kind of like when there's a you know problem in the space station, 
you can sit there and analyze it and the computer can know exactly what's wrong, but ultimately you need to send astronauts up there to go out and fix it. Even if, you know, something stupid, like just putting a wrench on something and turning it. I mean, it's, there's a lot of little things like that where still, even with machines and so on and robots, humans are necessary to do stuff. And likewise here, Will's this disembodied AI that's, you know, he's got all this amazing hardware. He can do all these comp computations and whatever, but still, especially when, given that there's hostile groups out there that want to kill him, you need a bunch of humans on your team. And so, you know, how, do, how does he recruit them? Well, by offering them treatment for their medical conditions. And, and also he could pay him too, since he's got tons of money. And so what's interesting is even the earning of the millions of dollars, the fact that he earned $38 million in a 24-hour period in the beginning, that also is an example of him helping humanity. Like that's how he's now being unleashed in the ecosystem of other intelligent beings on earth, this new super AI with, with a human soul, if you want to think of it like that, or personality. He's the way, you know, when he's saying, okay, what am I going to do now? Well, gee, I want to buy a bunch of hardware and hire a bunch of people to dig a hole in the middle of the desert and make this supercomputer that the world's never seen. Well, I need a bunch of money. So what does he do to get it? He does, you know, voluntary transactions that benefit the rest of humanity, you know, namely earning money through financial trades. And if you've never thought that through, I can, I'll put a link to uh, some articles I've written on this kind of stuff. But what, you know, what are the benefits of stock speculation, the social benefits? Well, you're buying low and selling high or you're short selling high and buying back low. And just in general, when you buy low and sell high, you're, you're moving stuff from areas where they're relatively less valuable to areas where they're more valuable. Like, so if you're buying apples at $2 a pound and you're selling them across the street for $3 a pound, that's good. You're moving the apples to where they're more, more valuable, at least, you know, measured in terms of willingness to spend. And so that's a good thing. You want to be, you want people doing that. And so even with stocks, that's similar. Now it's a little bit more abstract and it's harder to see what's the exact benefit let me try it this way. What you want is a, you want the stock price to be correct. And one way of seeing it is, imagine if Microsoft's share price were really low so that somebody could buy all of Microsoft for $1,000. Well, then, you know, he might do something dumb with it. All right. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a silly little example, but I mean, it's also serious. I mean, it's true that you want a high price to make sure that valuable assets are in the hands of people who are going to treat them seriously. Okay, just like, uh, you know, the, the price of oil is what it is, and that's an indication of its scarcity. And you don't want people, if, if oil is supposed to be $40 a barrel, you don't want it to actually be priced at $2 a barrel because then people are going to be using barrels of crude for ends that are inappropriate. Right, that that, and this is you know what Mises did um, with his discussion of of calculation and the the failure of socialist planning it was showing that you know market prices do a you know perform a job they have a job to do, and part of what happens there is the high price of a resource is like a signal or a sign saying hands off unless you know you're really sure that this is gonna provide benefit to the consumer or to your customer. And so only the people, you know, something really pricey like, uh, like gold. This is an example I use in a lot of my um, explanations of this stuff. It would be 
imagine an apartment building. It would be nice if you lived in an apartment unit where a lot of the material, a lot of the surfaces had were covered in gold, right? Like you know the the countertops were gold, or you know maybe they had trim or whatever. It'd be nice, but it'd be really expensive. And in fact, the amount more you would be willing to pay in rent every month to be in an apartment that had a lot of gold covered surfaces for most people would not be high enough to justify the increased cost of making an apartment with that much gold in it. All right. And so colloquially speaking, you say, why don't people, when they're building apartment units, use a lot of gold and say, because it costs too much, that would be unprofitable. But that's not true for jewelry, right? When people make necklaces or earrings, it's not the case that, oh yeah, people would like to have a gold necklace rather than a silver one. And they'd be willing to pay a little bit more for the gold one, but not so much more that it would justify the increased expense of making the silver with gold rather than, or making the necklace with silver or gold rather than silver, right? It, that logic doesn't work there. It's, it's actually the way around. But no, actually, there are plenty of people who would be willing to pay more for a gold necklace. And in fact, so much more relative to a silver one that it justifies the extra cost of constructing a necklace out of gold rather than silver. And that's why gold flows into jewelry, into that sector. Okay, so it can't be that something is so expensive that nobody uses it because then it wouldn't be so expensive, right? The reason gold is so expensive is because people are paying the market price and that props up the price at that level. And that's what prevents the gold from being squandered in other uses. So it's not that gold would be useless coating apartment buildings. It's just that would be an inappropriate. That would be wasting it because it's more urgently needed elsewhere. Okay, so with that framework now, I'm saying you, you see how the market price is important to make sure it gets channeled into the right area or hands. So likewise, financial assets need to have the right price, among other reasons, because you want it to be in the hands of the right people. Now, as far as stock speculators, another element you could talk about is that they provide liquidity. Okay, and so if, um, let's say there's a stock that, because of the quote fundamentals ought to be a hundred dollars a share, but for whatever reason, a bunch of people, you know, maybe they have uh, their tax bill is due or whatever, but a bunch of people are just selling those shares on a particular day because they need cash. Right. So it's not that they, it's not that their opinion about the company's profitability or dividends down the road changed. It's just that, Oh gee, I really need cash. I got to sell off this asset that I own to get cash. And so other things equal, normally, if they just dumped a bunch of shares on the market, that would push down the price. And so a lot of people who were engaged in sort of forced selling or panic selling might have to have suffer a big loss because of that. And so in that context, it's very good if there are people out there who are speculators that just scan the markets looking for arbitrage opportunities, where if a stock price that, quote, ought to be higher they see at a bargain price, they'll rush in and buy it up, all right? So if the, you know, the, the heavy volume of selling pushes the price from 100 down to 90, these other people with their algorithms might say, wait a minute, no, that stock really ought, ought to be more like 100. And so they'll rush in and start buying it. And so that prevents the price from, you know, they'll push the price back up to 95, let's say. By the way, depending on your definition, I mean, some people are going to quibble about what I mean by arbitrage, okay? But I'm just using that term loosely here. Okay, so in general, whenever there's, quote, obvious mispricings in the market, it, it provides a social service for people to enter and to buy those things up. Or likewise, 
if for some reason some stock is overvalued, that it's selling at 110 when really it, quote, ought to be 100 and people think that's what the long-run value is more likely to be, then it it helps if some uh, speculators see that and they short that stock to push it down. And again, who does that help? Well, people who, you know, maybe just as part of your 401k, you're just, you know, buying into the stock market. Broadly speaking, you're not really picking individual stocks. It reduces volatility. You don't want to just happen to buy a bunch of shares of a company that's selling at 110 when really that's not the right price. And so, and then it's going to drop quickly soon thereafter. So it's better for you if there's groups out there who just scan the markets. And when that price goes up to 110, they quickly enter and short the stock, pushing it back down to 105, let's say, so that when you happen to buy on that day, you're only buying at 105. And so when the price comes back down naturally over time, you know, you're not losing as much. Okay. So that's the idea that what the speculators do is they limit the range through which asset prices fluctuate relative to people who are more like fundamental buyers or sellers. All right. So that's the idea. So again, even there, he's performing a valuable social service. So my overall thesis here is that, and I think this is what the movie makers are trying to get across, is that Will was the good guy and the humans were the bad guys. And so let me just walk you through the logic here. As they even say in the movie at the end, the, you know, the military guys kind of look around after the dust settles and say, he didn't kill anybody. Right, let's just let's go through and, and look at the who did what. Will did not harm a single person. What he did do was render benefits on humanity, you know, from the moment of his inception, as it were, or his first professional act was by earning $38 million in a single day. So that's providing benefits to at least those who understand how capitalism works. Um, and from that point forward, what did he do? He made a bunch of voluntary transactions healed a bunch of people, healed blind people, saved a guy who was on his deathbed, didn't harm anybody, even though he was being attacked several times by people, didn't, didn't retaliate in any way that caused harm to them. Remember when his wife, Evelyn, says, well, you can't go to war against them or you can't attack them or fight them. And he says, I'm not going to fight them. I'm going to transcend them. All right, so this isn't just some you know, mere tactical display. I mean, that this is his whole philosophy, is that, yeah, he's not going to fight them. He's going to just transcend them. And that's partly where the, you know, the transcendence is his word, his name for the, the super AI that sort of reaches its culmination. In contrast, let's look at what the humans did. The terrorist group admittedly killed people in the beginning to achieve their ends. Everybody could agree that that was bad. And that girl never changed her tune, right? At the end the thing that actually gets Will to basically kill himself is she points a gun at Max's head and says to Will, if you don't upload that virus, I'm going to shoot him. Right? So that's not something a normal, nice person does. That's what a terrorist does. And she was a terrorist. So we, everybody in the movie agreed she was a terrorist and that was wrong to kill innocent people to achieve her ends in the beginning because she was afraid of the AI. So that she's like one of the few people in the movie who's consistent. She and Will are like the only two people in the movie who are consistent. Everybody else has, has changed sides, right? Will throughout says using violence to achieve your ends is wrong and you shouldn't be afraid of AI. Whereas everybody else, except that girl and her friends, all the other characters in the beginning 
were quite sure that killing innocent people in order to stop the progress of AI was wrong. And yet when they see Will in action, they're like, oh yeah, well, no, this guy's a threat. We got to stop him. And even killing innocent people is fine. And in case you're thinking, well, no, Bob, you just talked about that terrorist. No, they captured the guy who was part of the network, Martin. When they to upload the virus, they went and captured him. You know, the, the military people working in concert with the terrorists, Rift. Their whole plan was they lured him away. They captured him. They surrounded him with like the the fencing that earlier in the movie it had been established blocks electromagnetic radiation. And so they cut him off from Will by doing that. And then they shot him. And then he's sitting there bleeding and they need, you know, they needed his information in order to figure out how to make the virus, the computer virus, you know, compatible with Will's code and so forth. And so the guy's sitting there dying and he, he's, he kind of sits up and he says, unless you reconnect me, I'm going to die. And what does Joseph Morgan Freeman's character say? He says, I'm sorry. Okay, so there they captured somebody, shot him, he's dying. They could have saved him. It wasn't like a mere oversight. They consciously decided, yep, our mission to stop this AI that we think is too dangerous warrants killing this guy who we admit is innocent. You know, he, if anything, he's a victim in our, in our worldview of this AI that, you know, duped him and, you know, transformed him. Okay, so everybody is on board. And in fact, in the final battle, they send over, um, they send Evelyn over to try to convince Will, hey, do you want to upload it? He's not buying it. And then the military guys want to start shelling them. And Max, to his credit, says, no, Evelyn's still out there. She's going to be hurt. And the military guys say, right, that might actually um, help. You know, that, that might induce Will to upload her, right? If we put her in physical danger, then to protect her, he might upload her into his system. Okay, so there, again, and Joseph's on board with that, by the way. He says, she, she, she agreed, she knew what she was doing, and Max protests and saying, no, this wasn't the plan, right? So there, I mean, Max was, was disagreeing, but the, everybody else was totally on board with threatening Evelyn in order to get the AI to do what they wanted. And so notice there, you know, the interesting thing there. So for those two kiss situations, everybody was, you know, the humans were threatening innocent people, threatening to kill innocent people because they knew the AI, this malevolent being that they were trying to save humanity from, cared about Evelyn and Max, right? They knew Will was friends with Max and loved Evelyn. And so they were going to threaten to hurt them in order to get Will to kill himself. Okay, so just in general, forget the context here. In general, when one group, you know, one party hurts no one, does nothing but heal people and produce millions of dollars worth of valuable goods and services. And then the other group tries to get the first party to kill himself. And the way they leverage him is they threaten to kill people about whom he cares. And they know he would rather die than have something bad happen to his wife, for example. Who, who of those two parties is the good guy and who's the bad guy? And yet, I, you know, they, the, the movie makers, by the way, I think they did a great job of making you, the viewer, identify with the humans and realize like halfway through the movie, oh yeah, this was kind of cool in the beginning, but no, he's gone too far. This, this AI is getting out of hand. It needs to be stopped, right? So they do a great job of getting you to root for the humans. The other thing is the actual solution, what do they do? They have to shut down the internet. And the, you know, this is a big deal. M Max in the beginning, you know, so like Max comes on the scene after all this has happened. And then most of the movie is basically a flashback because it says like something like five years earlier. 
but in the beginning, you know, he's he's saying that, oh, I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, I heard they have power in Boston. They have limited phone service in Denver, but still things aren't like they were. Okay, so in the aftermath of their, quote, solution that knocks out the internet, and that's how they, you know, get rid of all the copies Will's made of his program, the whole world goes down. All the power goes out. So, I mean, just think of all the people who were in hospitals when they did that. So, they don't really spell it out, but I'm arguably, in order to take out Will, they killed millions of people, right? So, it's not just the few people that they literally put a gun to their head or shot artillery at in order to get Will out of his own compassion to kill himself, they killed easily millions of people in order to actually do what they wanted to do. So again, I ask, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in this scenario? And then furthermore, what they do at the end, because you're saying, oh, but Will, you know, uh, uh, their fears were all misplaced, right? that the way Max actually gets Evelyn on board, because at first she's mad. And when she comes in, when they, oh, they kidnapped her too. I forgot about that too. They burst into a hotel room and grabbed her and took her out. So again, generally speaking, the quote, good guys don't go around kidnapping innocent women. But no, these, these ones did. And so they, she's mad because they had earlier captured that guy, Martin, the one that they put the, you know, the fencing around to, to cut him off from being connected to Will. And she's like, what happened to him? And there's, oh, well, you know, what was left of him died months ago or something like that. Or we, we restored his humanity. Oh, that, that's nice. She restored his humanity, then watched him die. How, how big of you? Um, so she's furious at first and said, you attacked us. And then the way, though, that they get her on board to agree with the whole virus plan is Max says, come here, let me show you, Evelyn. They go outside and he takes like a thimble full of rain, rainwater from a puddle and puts it under a microscope and lets her look at it. And she sees like, you know, little crystalline things reproducing. And he says, you know, Will is now covering the earth with these things. By our estimates, by next May, all of the surface of the earth, including the water, will be covered with copies of himself. And then she, I'm making that up, but it's something like that. And then she says, well, why? And he says, words, the effect of to, you know, to, to get rid of primitive organic life and replace it with some higher stage to serve his intelligence or something like that. Okay. But, but that's, you know, when you're the viewer watching it, you're like, Oh damn, he really is going too far. And that's what gets her to flip. Funny thing though, is Max just completely made that up. That's not at all what he was doing as they're both, as he and Evelyn are both dying. It turns out what he was doing was exactly her vision that she set on the stage in the beginning at the presentation that he was, those things were going to go and like eat the pollutants and the water and the air and make more copies of themselves and so he was going to transform Earth to make it better for humanity, just like his wife Evelyn said to all the investors at the conference when she was saying, here's all the applications of this super AI. Once we, you know, once this thing is developed, look at what we can do with it. That's what he was doing. So for the whole movie, and by the way, once I saw it the first time, I went back and rewatched it with my son just to make sure that, yeah, once you watch it with that angle, you can see the whole movie, all he's doing is he keeps checking in with his wife. I made another breakthrough. He's just trying to make his wife happy. The whole movie, it's all for her. That's all he's doing. And she even says, it has been, it was you all along. He goes, yep, always was. And then they die. And so again, let me just you know say, if you think, oh no, actually he was the creepy AI and that's, well then, you know, if this was all just a ploy to, to lull humanity, remember, they did not defeat him. He chose to upload the virus because his wife asked him to. She's dying there and he said, I only have enough power. I can heal her body 
or I can upload the virus. I can't do both. And that terrorist girl has literally a gun to Max's head and says, you better upload that virus or I'm going to kill him. Evelyn says to Will, we can't let Max suffer for what we did. Okay, so again, the reason he, quote, lost was because his wife said, we can't let this terrorist girl shoot Max, upload the virus and kill yourself and I'll die too. And he obeyed her, you know, her her request. So that does not sound like a super maniacal intelligence hell-bent on destroying humanity when it, it was in no threat whatsoever. He knew that virus was, he knew she had the virus. There was, they didn't trick him at all. He was always way ahead of them and he was totally invulnerable. He did the one thing to kill himself because his wife asked him to and partly because he didn't want his friend to die. So say what you will about that. That is not an evil machine being thwarted by the humans. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. Is So I'm pretty confident what I just said, that I think that's what the movie makers are trying to do, or at least they wanted you to see that possible angle. Um, I think here I'm, I'm, I'm stretching a bit, but what they might have been even saying is something deeper. I think they're making possibly references to Christianity. And so some of the obvious stuff is the, you know, the guy in the crowd says to him, so you want to create a God? And he says, isn't that what humans have always done? Right, so they are talking about him being God. Notice the things he does. He goes through, does nothing but heal people and say very wise things. In particular, he heals the blind. And then he also near the end, so he, it all, originally he speaks through others, right? When he temporarily like takes over other people and he speaks to his wife through other people. Okay, so that's like God speaking through the prophets. And then at the end, what does he do? He incarnates into human form, right? He, he synthetically creates a body that's like, you know, Johnny Depp. So it looks like him back when he was just a human. And then he kind of inhabits that thing and goes around so that people can better interact with him, right? Because, you know, they're terrified. They're freaking out. You know, he's too scary is this disembodied super AI. And so he assumes human form so they can better relate to him. And then in the end, even though he has the power to easily thwart them, he allows the humans to kill him because of his love for them. Right. So uh, I, I think, you know, maybe they are <laughs> trying to make some not so subtle uh, religious illusions there. Also, um, another observation here because of my whole pacifism thing. Notice what stance does Will take so as not to freak people out is all he's doing is helping them. Even when they attack and when they shoot his people up, he doesn't have them shoot back with bullets. He just, he just heals them, right? So that's what's amazing. That's one of the amazing parts of it is when the military team first comes in and just fire. By the way, and going back to who's the good guys and the bad guys, they just open fire and mow everybody down without hesitation, okay? So again, that's not something that people who re- rely on violence as a last resort <laughs> do. And he, again, he doesn't retaliate. He just heals his own people with the nanobots. And so again, in, in terms of trying not to freak out people by being, you know, very gentle, being wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. That's what stance he takes. And it's true in this, you say, oh, well, he lost, but again, he, he chose to lose. Um, and so, you know, this is kind of going my thing that I argue with Tom Woods on the Contra Cruise, that if you're going to have a libertarian society somewhere that's going to freak people out, especially as it gets real powerful and has the best supercomputers and, you know, the richest financial sector and all this stuff, 
you don't want to have a bunch of powerful weapons lying around, that's going to freak people out even more. Okay, so that's why I'm saying pacifism, I think, you know, I believe in it as a moral philosophy, and I do think Christianity goes hand in hand with it. But beyond that, I think it's a particular relevance for anarcho-capitalists, because I'm going to say, if we ever did get a little ANCAP society, we should study and see what Will did here. That the way, because put it this way, if he right off the bat had started getting soldiers, you know, he could have paid them money and started building paramilitary operations, then it would have been easy for the FBI guy to pick up the phone, call the CIA or whoever and be like, look at, look at this guy out here in the desert. He's, he's building an army, like literally. And then they could have just dropped bombs on him or something that wouldn't have worked, but it would have been much easier for him to get his superiors interested in the case if they could see he was stockpiling chemical weapons or something. But instead, since all it was, was this big computer that had a bunch of diagnostic beds where they were healing blind people and a bunch of solar panels on paper, that's not too intimidating. So you could see, and they even said that in the beginning, like, well, you got to wait till he goes too far and then people will wake up. You know, that's what Max tells the terrorist group leader when she's like, when do we, when do we hit? When do we strike? And you said, there's nothing you can do right now. You got to wait till he goes too far. Okay. The last thing I'll say is the one area of this where you might give some pushback is you could say, okay, but it was creepy when he linked all those people together into his collective consciousness or whatever. And especially the first guy, I mean, he was, he was unconscious. He was bleeding to death. It's not obvious that it was voluntary or that he fully explained what was going on. And I agree. And I think they partly did that just to keep it ambiguous, right? Cause I think dramatically from the, you know, the filmmaker's point of view, they wanted you, the viewer to not be sure how you felt. It's kind of like watching the original Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder, right? Where's the, the Willy Wonka with Johnny Depp? They're like, no, that guy's creepy. But with Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version, you weren't sure. Like, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? I'm not sure. So that's, I think that's what they were kind of trying to do here. But even there on its own terms, what do we know? The one example we have, the, the best test, the, the best thing we can do is when the, the military guys, you know, in the part of their trap or whatever they're playing, that guy Martin followed them down into their little tunnel and then they surrounded him with the, the, the fencing to cut him off from Will and they shot him. He set up, so he was aware he had been cut off and that would have been a good time for him to say like, oh, thank God you, you freed me. You know, I didn't realize I woke up and all of a sudden I was tied in his kind. It was horrifying. He could take control of my body and make me speak and, and I was helpless and I was watching my vocal cords vibrate. It was terrifying. He didn't say any of that. What did he say? He says, you need to reconnect me or I'm going to die. Now, again, in fairness, going the other way, he was, you know, he was dying. And so maybe he, you know, really, if he had had more time, would have said, it's true that in the long run, I would like to be free again. But right now, can you reconnect me so he can heal me and then try to, you know, rescue me again? But this time, don't shoot me, you thugs. You know, he didn't say that. So I grant it was a little bit of a strange situation. It's hard to say one way or the other. But my point is what we all we can say from that, what we what we know is that when this guy had the chance to speak, the one guy who had been freed from, you know, the, the network connection, what he told us was, I want you to reconnect me because otherwise I'm going to die. So, you know, that's, that's all he can really do is, it was, oh, well, he creeps us out. So last thing I'll say is, this is the connection to the movie Glass. I won't give too much of a spoiler there, but what what ends up happening in that movie is you realize the most awful evil thing in the world, far worse even than, you know, what Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Glass has been doing. And he did some bad stuff. And, you know, he teamed up with some guy that was doing some really bad stuff. 
But that's nothing compared to what the lady in that movie was doing, at least in my book. And I'll just say that. I won't, I won't be more explicit in, in case you haven't seen the movie. And so notice how similar what she was doing is to what these people, the humans were doing in this movie, right? Ultimately, they were saying, yeah, yeah, he didn't do anything bad yet, but we're going to kill millions of people to knock out this potential threat because he might do something horrible down the road and we're just going to air that. It's kind of like in Batman versus Superman. You know, the reason Batman tries to kill Superman and in that movie, you know, saying, oh, well, for all we know, if he turns bad down the road, he'll be unstoppable. So let's kill him right now while I can. And it's pretty clear, at least in that movie, that no, that's the wrong thing to do. You're not supposed to go kill Superman. That's a horrible decision driven by fear, not by prudence. Okay, so I'm saying here too, yeah, there are parts that what Will was doing was creepy, but, you know, does that really justify all of the violence that the humans committed? And then again, ultimately, what, you know, what he did was out of love. Oh, sorry, I keep saying the last thing. Now, the true last thing is, so here he is. With all this power, and I, and I was even the first time I was watching the movie, I was trying to decide: do I trust this guy or not? And by the way, there's a thing with um, when Morgan Freeman's character says to Will now, when he first quote meets him as the AI, he says, "Can you prove yourself aware?" And then he says, "The interesting question: Can you prove that you are?" And his wife says, "Ah, he's got a sense of humor." And clearly, what you, the viewer, are supposed to take away from that is, "Oh, that's Pin. That's not Will." But then at the end, he says it is himself. Anyway, I just I don't want you to think that I didn't catch that. But when I was watching the first thing, I said, did we trust this guy or not? And what I decided was, if he loves his wife still, I think that's really what would make us trust him, right? He's obviously got all this amazing power. And if he uses it for evil, that's, you know, he could do a lot of bad stuff, but on the other hand, he could do a lot of good stuff. And so in terms of like centering him, and if you want to say like retaining his humanity or whatever, if you want to talk like that, but... What I concluded that first time watching was, as long as I think he still loves his wife, I'm okay with this. And he clearly retained that through the end. And in fact, you know, that's why he killed himself is because he, you know, wanted to respect her wishes. And then when, especially when you saw, when he showed her, she was dying and it got uploaded into him and she saw, oh no, you weren't trying to just like coat the world with your own self in order to aggrandize your power. You were trying to, you know, get rid of, pollution and stuff like I always wanted to, you were doing this all for me that, you know, that's like, okay. Yeah. So that's, they were clearly trying to show that's what he was doing. So in that sense that now looking back at, you know, the, the reference to God and whatever, yeah. The idea of an omnipotent being who sees everything you do, who knew you before you were born, who has the power to cast you into hell. If you want to speak like that, that's terrifying. But the Bible also says, God loves you. In fact, he loves you so much, he would be willing to die for you, even when you've been a jerk to him. <laughs> okay, again, it parallels to this movie. And so if, if you can trust Will, knowing that he at least loves his wife, well, then you can trust an omnipotent God because you know he loves you. And with that, I'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit BobMurphyShow.com.